Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. This week we're led in scripture by Bryce Palmer. During this sermon, Bryce shows us the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, and what it means to be born again. You can join us by turning your Bibles to John chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, as we welcome guest preacher Bryce Palmer. morning. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear a sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Pray together as we open God's word this morning. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for coming and dying and rising from the dead and purchasing a people to be reconciled to you. I pray, Father, as we open your word this morning, that your church here in Ferdinand would be edified, that you, God, Father, would be glorified, that sinners may be called to repentance and justified, and, Father, that we, as a body, may lift up the name of Christ, and we might understand a little bit more about him through your word, rightly preached, And we thank you, Father, for this time. We do together, Father, lift up Josh and the team in Belize and ask you to continue to meet their needs and to open the eyes of the hearts of those who would hear the gospel as you preach through them on their trip. Lord, would you edify them as well and keep them as you have been faithful for millennia to your people. We thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Am I speaking at an okay level? Can you hear me? 
mostly? Okay. I'm a little soft-spoken, but I can be loud if I need to be. So if you can't hear me at some point, just kind of wave or something, uh, and I will uh, increase the volume of my voice. And I also need to know how long I am normal or Josh normally preaches. Can somebody just tell me what the time limit here is this morning? Just preach. I, okay. Oh, oh, I understand completely. It's going to be a long day because this is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, and we're not stopping here, so we better get going. And we're on fast time here, right? So I get to go home and I save an hour. So <laughs> this, is, this is great. I'm very happy this morning. Now there was a man, verse 1, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. My aim this morning... That it is God who saves, that it is God is the one who leaves the 99 and goes after that sinning sheep. He's the one that goes after that one. And if you are born again this morning, like many of us are, you were that one that he left the 99 for to go after. He's been described as the hound of heaven who seeks out those he might purchase. We'll talk about the cross a little bit this morning. We'll talk about the cross that is the, the place where Jesus Christ died in order to ransom a people for God, in order to reconcile a people to God. And Jesus, on his earthly ministry, the first time he had come, he came as a suffering servant. And at the beginning of John chapter 3, we see probably the smartest man in Israel come to Jesus. And he asks him some questions. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews and a member of the Pharisees. He had studied. He, he knew what he was talking about. He wasn't a dumb man. He says, verse 2, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, or teacher, or wise one, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do. Now, if you follow the narrative of the New Testament in the Gospels, you will see over and over and over again that the Pharisees would not publicly say that Christ was a teacher come from God. In fact, they called him the son of the devil. They called his mother a name that we wouldn't repeat from the pulpit. They accused the Lord Jesus Christ of casting out demons in the name of demons. Yet we hear Nicodemus here say, we know that you're from God. We, we know it. Because nobody has done the things that you have done unless he can be sent from God. We, we, it's not something that we're... we're, 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 we're not understanding. We see that you have come from God. We, we, we understand it. But all of Nicodemus' friends on the council of Pharisees and the Sadducees would publicly say he's a liar, he's a thief, he's a cheat, he's a madman, he's, he's out for his own uh, 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 fame and he's out to steal away the people of God into the things of devils. 
Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, going right to the point. Surely and truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and they're not really addressing the thing that you came to address? You talk about one thing and they say something completely different. It's not the most enjoyable conversation you can have with a person. You want to talk about this and they want to talk about that. I experience this almost on a daily uh, uh, basis because I am as unversed in sports as anyone could ever be. Um, this morning, the, the Sunday school teacher mentioned the Cubs, and I know that's a baseball team. That's about as far as I get into knowing about sports. And almost every other man that's in any kind of place within my life is incredibly versed in sports. When I go to pastor's meetings, uh, when we're talking about things that aren't in the word, we're talking about sports and I don't understand. And so I will try to gear it back. I try to sound spiritual. Don't talk about Brett Favre or whoever these people are. Let's talk about the Lord. I try to be spiritual, right? Well, it's not really that I really want to be spiritual and edifying to the church. It's because I don't know what they're talking about. Passing yardage and fumbling and, and all these kinds of things that are happening. And there's apparently a basketball game that's going on and people are upset that somebody did something wrong recently. And, and I don't really know what's going on, but uh, there's, there's lots of talk about a basketball game. And I guess there's a couple of them in a row. I don't understand. And so if you come to me after service and you say, hey, let's talk about uh, uh, Mr. James. <laughs> what's his first name? LeBron uh, uh, James. I'm going to tell you, let's not, let's talk about something else because I don't know what you're talking about and I'm going to change the subject. And you may do the same thing with things that people talk about and you don't want to speak about. But we have the Lord of all creation, the one who spoke in Genesis chapter 1, let there be light. We have him sitting in front of Nicodemus here and Nicodemus comes with some flattery. We know that you're from God. Because a regular man can't do the things that you're doing. And think about what they've seen so far. They've seen healings. They've seen miracles. Some incredible stuff has happened. And so he's coming to Christ and he's, he's buttering him up a little bit. We don't know his motives exactly at this point, but Jesus cuts right through and he says, no one can be, unless you're born again, you're, no one can see the kingdom. Well, I wasn't really speaking about that. I was talking about the things that you have done, Jesus. I'm talking about something different. And Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. And I'm thankful that he did. One of the most important chapters in the Bible. Right here. And it's very important in this kind of area. It's the, 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 the most notable kind of religion in southwest Indiana. This kind of area uh, is very, very much works-based religion. And I don't mean just in Catholicism. Many of our churches preach a works-based righteousness. And Christ is cutting right to the matter here. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he not, cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? So Nicodemus is showing, remember, he's one of the top guys in Jerusalem. He's one of the smartest men on the planet, and he's showing his complete stupidity in front of the God of creation. All right. Why God didn't strike him dead at that moment. Why God didn't strike a lot of the men dead who cursed at Christ and, and mocked him uh, at the, the moment is, is still a mystery to me as he went to the cross. Um, but he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Nicodemus is being ridiculous. He's trying to, to dodge a little bit here. He's trying to go around. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And then he says, don't marvel. Don't be excited. Don't go crazy over the fact that I said to you, you must be born again. This isn't some new thing. This isn't some kind of uh, a thinking that hasn't been being led up to through the entire Old Testament unto the coming of Christ the first time. I notice you're studying Hebrews. I don't remember what uh, in Sunday school. I don't remember what chapter you're on this morning, but you're eventually you're going to get to the Hall of Faith, the, the great list of names of the Old Testament and the basic principle behind all of their things that they did was that they lived by faith. This isn't new teaching, and the Pharisees were the men who should have seen it coming. And that's the message that I believe your pastor and that team, whoever's there, they're on their way to Belize. That's the message that they take, and it's the message that we take. You cannot enter the kingdom unless you're born again. It does not happen. You, 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 you don't work your way to Christ my favorite preacher said, the only thing that you contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. You are completely unable to please God on your own. He's not the stern father expecting you to work for his approval. Yet we make it that way. In fact, it's, it's really interesting, and this wasn't in my original note plan, but if you back up to chapter 1, um, verse, 40, uh, verse 43, this is how quickly people make it about us finding Christ. This is how quickly we're able to say, it was something that I'm doing that needs to be shown here. Look at verse 43 in chapter 1. I love this. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. Love those three words. He found Philip um, and said to him, follow me. And we all know that story. It's the calling of Philip. It's one of the first disciples called. Philip, come here. You're coming with me now. Philip, he drops whatever he's doing and he goes, right? Verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethlehem, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, look at these next three words. We have found him. Now, wait a minute. Verse uh, 43 says, Christ found Philip. And look how quickly, look how quickly 
a sinful man turns it into we have found. That's, that's, that's literally one verse later, and you already have a man changing the, the narrative a little bit. Christ found him. Our words are important when we take the gospel to people. It's not good enough to say, I found Christ. It's the wrong uh, narrative to say. It's the, it's the wrong way to look at things. You found nothing. Christ found you. He sought you like the hound of heaven. He went after you and there was no stopping him. Uh, forget the Jesus of the coming in and, and asking your permission for something to do in your life. He's the Christ that jumps off the top rope and slams salvation into your life. That's one sports thing I can talk about, wrestling, right? Anybody watch wrestling with their grandpa when you're growing up? I loved watching wrestling, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant and all those guys. Remember when Hulk picked up Andre for the first time? It's like, I don't know, what Andre weighed like a ton, I don't know, and picked him up and he's like, yeah, and slammed him. There's no finding on your part. It's all Christ looking for you. It's all Christ seeking you. It's all Christ going after you. And if you're born again this morning, you know when that was, right? You know one day Christ was nothing to you. And the next day, it's like a light switch came on. What was happening there? What was going on? You were born again. Jesus continues, he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. I am thankful that God is not bound by our sometimes incredibly feeble attempts at evangelism. You ever had a, a failure in evangelism where you just seem to mumble your words? You're just like kind of fumbling over everything and, and you're dropping the ball and you're trying to explain the gospel because it's so important to do and you just don't get it right and they leave and you're, you're just like, ah, I don't even know what I said. I think I said Buddha at some point. I, I'm not sure what's going on here. I just fumbled my way through it. I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit of God is not dependent upon your perfect preaching of the gospel. Why is that? Because the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. If you're born again this morning, that includes you. It includes me. It wasn't some contrived uh, scientific reasoning that led you to Christ. It was the wind blowing and knocking you down. It was, it was Christ seeking you. Now, that's encouraging for a, a couple of different reasons, but one of the main ones is that the salvation of those around us, including those who are most important to us, our wives, our husbands, our children, our family, our friends, our co-workers, and on and on and on, their salvation isn't dependent upon your performance. 
It absolutely is not dependent upon that. It is dependent upon the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing wherever he might blow. Now, it is true, we find out in Romans, the Apostle Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how can they hear if they don't have a preacher to tell them? And he's speaking about Christians. We have to tell the gospel to people. That is how God saves, is by the preaching of the gospel. So God does want you to sit across with your family member, your best friend from high school, your whomever that you're in their life. And the reason you're in their life is because God wants to save them through the preaching of the gospel. That's why you're there. So he wants you to have that conversation, but don't be confused. He's not dependent upon your conversation. We're not salesmen. We're, we're not in the business of selling Christ to people. We, we can't finagle people into, you know, uh, a negotiation um, to get the best deal. And the best deal is Jesus. So you got to believe the best deal. It's not what it is. You know why that is? Because that's a very new concept, a concept, historically speaking. That kind of sales pitch is very, very new, right? And the gospel is a very, very old concept. You can be sure if something's new in Christianity, it's probably false. And you hear some preachers say, I found something new in the Bible. You're wasting your time unless you want to listen to it so you can critique it and write him a letter and say, where this is where you're wrong, you need to repent, you need to repent publicly, and you need to confess before all the people that you told that you were wrong. Uh, Tell them that, that's a great time. But if not, just forget those kind of people because if it's new, it's probably wrong. So your friend's salvation, your parent's salvation, your children's salvation is not dependent upon you just like your salvation, was it dependent upon whomever it was that shared the gospel with you? They were a tool in the master's hand, but the hammer takes no credit for the hitting of the nail. It does not happen. A hammer wouldn't think to take credit. Look at what I have done, says the hammer. No, it doesn't work that way. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And this is where Jesus is getting a little punchy here. He's getting a little forward. It's, it's, he's, he's reprimanding Nicodemus because Nicodemus is supposed to be the smartest of the men who are supposed to be the smartest and the most knowledgeable of the things of God. Remember, they memorize whole portions of Scripture in the Old Testament and they study the Scripture and they wear it on their foreheads and on their arms and they, they live by the law of God, right? And, and he was, he, Jesus answered him, verse uh, 10, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Aren't you supposed to be the smart one, Nicodemus? Aren't you supposed to be preparing people for the coming of the Christ? And here you are not understanding something that a child will understand. It wasn't just that God loves children that he always pointed them out as receiving faith as a little child. He was shaming the adults in that time 
that they were missing something that was so simple that a toddler could understand it. You don't understand these things. Verse 11, truly I say to you, uh, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You're looking for a sign, you're looking for a wonder, or in the, the later on, Paul will say that the, the the Greeks they're looking for for um, uh, wisdom and logic. Jews are looking for a sign, and the Greeks are looking for a a, wiz, a wise kind of saying. And none of those things matter when it comes to the gospel. Why? Because the gospel of God is foolishness to the unconverted. It's foolishness. Think about it for a second. In 2018, right now, 2018, there's literally a group of us right now in, we're in Ferdinand, is that right? Okay, I don't want to mess up the town and lose you. You're like, well, he said this was Santa Claus. And so I stopped listening. Now, Ferdinand, there's a group of people who literally believe that there's a God who is three persons in one, first of all, not three gods, three persons in one God and one of those persons in God took on human flesh through a virgin birth and never did anything wrong when he walked the planet even when he was a child moms can you imagine the perfect child I mean it'd be awesome for like what a day and then every time you're around him you see your iniquity like you know, I mean, you, like you're yelling at Christ, you know, and, and or can you imagine being Mary's friends with the perfect son, right? Uh, we already know some friends who their children act better than ours, right? And, and you kind of compare. Can you imagine being a friend of the mother of God? Good grief. I forgot where I was going with that. literally have just completely forgotten oh yeah yeah so so we believe those things right we're we're, we're christians in the year 2018 the year of reason um you know that this is we, we've 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 learned well past those christian things right so we live in an age where we still believe these things it's foolishness to non-believers we believe jesus christ walked on water it's impossible <laughs> it's absolutely impossible for him to do right we believe that he healed a woman whenever she touched the hem of his garment it's foolishness there's no way to reason someone into faith it has to be the wind blowing it has to be god seeking it has to be christ invading their life and we see an example of that um, we're going to be done in, in john chapter 3 so switch over to john chapter 11 and we're going to get a look at kind of what being born again looks like. We're going to do a couple of sections here. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary 
uh, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. So we remember that story. She came in and she was crying, basically. She's washing his feet with her tears, right? So Mary had an affinity, a love of Christ that most people 99.9% of the people at the time could not understand and they couldn't see. And this is her brother that's sick now. So the sisters, verse 3, went to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Last verse for here, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Mary, or excuse me, Martha and her sister uh, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That seems completely contrary to what love is. What do you do when somebody's on their deathbed? You stop what you're doing and you race. Uh, this last year, um, one of my very, very good friends, he's a police officer in uh, Evansville, and uh, he had a, a scare while he was on duty. Um, where somebody with uh, kind of an aerosol heroin, um, it got to him. They had to give him the Narcan kind of stuff uh, as a, a, a practical kind of way in case he went into overdose. It's, it's a new world we're living in now where our first responders, they could literally die from the people they're trying to help just by stuff getting on their skin or accidentally inhaling it. It's a crazy world right now. So all of our police officers and our EMTs and our firemen, they carry around this Narcan stuff, which revives people who have overdosed, and they carry around an extra one for themselves. And he had to use it. And it's, uh, I forget what time of night, and I get a, a text from another police officer that says, hey, your friend so-and-so, so he's, he's head of the ER. I beat them to the ER. Had a police officer seen me at that time, they probably would have pulled me over. I was racing to the ER, not knowing if my friend was going to be alive or dead, not knowing if I was going to be having to go to his widow and speak to her, not knowing if I was going to have to be at a funeral of one of my oldest friends. I, I had no clue. And I raced. And you're probably the same way, right? Not Jesus. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So, it's a very important word there. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. Loving Mary and Martha and Lazarus required Christ to allow Lazarus to die. That is not friendly in some of our eyes. We do not think that is the friendly thing to do. In fact, some translations of the Bible play with the wording there. And in verse 6, they use the word yet instead of so. And it's not yet. It's so. And those two words make this verse mean entirely opposite things, right? He loved them, yet he stayed. No, he loved them, so he stayed. It's very important to understand. So keep reading. Uh, skip down to verse 38. We're going to the 
the happy part of the story. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. So we have Jesus hearing that Lazarus is sick, and he stays two days, and he allows Lazarus to die and to bring you up to speed. Then he travels there, and he's met on the way by Mary and Martha and some other people, and they're like, oh, Lord, we know that if you were here, he wouldn't have died. We know that had you been here, uh, it wouldn't have been an issue. We know that if you were here. I'm not sure if they're trying to guilt Christ into confessing that sorry I was late kind of a deal, or if they're just not understanding the scope of Christ's power. But either way, they're not seeing what he said at the beginning, which is um, this illness does not lead to death. So they're not trusting in that word, but they're also not seeing that a man who can heal the body with a command or a thought can raise the dead. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, uh, is it 1130 or 1230? I'm sorry, right now. Is it 1130? Okay. I was like, I usually have a timer on my phone, so I know when to be quiet. But you guys were like, don't worry about a timer. You just keep preaching all day. But then I was like, well, is my phone on slow time or fast time? Have I been speaking for an hour and a half or or um, whatever, and so uh, this is what you get when you get me as a preacher. I'm sorry. Um, Jesus said, verse 39, Take away the stone, Martha. Uh, or Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead four days. Now, there's an old Jewish legend. It's not biblical. It's not anything like that. So it's, it's, don't think that it's a real thing. But there was an old Jewish legend that after four days, the the soul of a human would uh, retreat, basically. It would leave the body. It wouldn't hover over the body anymore. And so I'm not sure if, if the four-day thing was to dispel any kind of uh, old wives' tales, that kind of thing, or not. That's just what, kind of what they believed back then. But he had been dead without embalming for four days. And Martha says, Jesus, my brother, there will be an odor now. Don't do this to us. You, I mean, can you imagine? Like someone you love, some, a brother, a mother, a sister, a, a father, whomever in your life, a wife, a husband, and somebody comes and says, open up their casket after they've been decomposing. Not only would it be an emotional event, but it would be why are you embarrassing us this way? Why, why are you doing this? Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? He's reminding her. He's reminding one of the people that recognize him as the Christ, by the way. He's reminding one of the people that immediately saw Christ in the flesh, that, that, you know, the wiping of the tears on the feet and, and breaking the, the jar, the alabaster jar, all of these things. He's speaking to those sisters. Didn't I tell you? You're going to see the glory of God. Verse 41, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew 
that you always hear me. But I said on this on account of the people standing around. So basically, Jesus is giving commentary of what he's doing while he's praying. Really the only one that should ever do that. That they believe you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Verse 44, the man who had died came out and his hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face was wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Can you imagine the spectacle? Remember, this isn't modern times. They bound him, hands and feet. What did that look like of him coming out? Because they had to untie him. It must have been an incredible thing. I mean, was he hopping? Was he, was he kind of baby stepping? What was he doing? And now he's breathing again. Remember, he's been dead. This is an incredible sight. <laughs> Simple words is unbind him and let him go. We're not going to get into that part, but the heading of the next part is the plot to kill Jesus. Remember uh, Nicodemus from the chapter 3? The, the, the representative of the men who say, we know that you're from God? Now, we hear more from Nicodemus later. His story isn't done, but the men that he represents decide at that point, we're going to kill this man. This man is a direct... Uh, threat to our power and our religion. And we're going to execute him. That's when they decided. After they had seen and heard of a man being raised from the dead. Now, this is a picture of what happens in an unbeliever's life when God saves them. I heard a preacher say once, it's good that Jesus, when he told Lazarus to come out, that he used the actual name Lazarus. Because had he not, if he had just said come out, every corpse in the world would have rose from the dead and been like, hey, I'm back. What, 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 what's going on? I'm, I'm here. Somebody let me out. You know, that kind of thing. He spoke to Lazarus, even though he's dead, and he came out. Now, for those of you this morning who are born again, those of you this morning who who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is exactly what he said to you. And you had as about as much to do with your being born again as Lazarus had being brought back from the dead. Therefore, it is not dependent on you to get your relatives saved. It's not dependent on you to get your family member, your co-worker, your friend, your whomever saved. That's why the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 doesn't say, go and make converts. He's very clear with what he says, go and make disciples. Disciple is a learner. We can make learners. We can't make converts. And for hundreds of years now here in America, we have tried. 
with gimmicky evangelism, with emotional pleas, with terror. I was scared of hell when I was a child. I went to a, a pretty solid Southern Baptist church in Evansville when I was very young, and I remember getting saved over and over and over and over again because I didn't want to go to hell. The threat of hell isn't adequate for salvation. The gospel is. So when we go to people, we don't need to be as convincing as a Billy Graham or a John Piper or a Josh LaGrange. You can tell him that I mentioned him with the big two, right? <laughs> Graham, Piper, and LaGrange the, through the annals of time. You don't have to be the professional. You just have to speak the gospel. You don't have to, to, to put the pressure on yourself of if I'm not the perfect Christian and I don't say things exactly right and I don't have the confidence of Paul, then my friend isn't going to get saved. That's poppycock. It does not matter. What matters is that you are faithful of, to take the message to them. You write it to them, you share it, you sing it. I don't care how it is you do it, but in this community, take the gospel to people. Literally, speak the gospel. You know what the gospel is? Paul says this, the gospel, and I'm going to bottom line it for you, is believing that Christ came in the flesh, that he was crucified according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and he was raised from the dead, according to the scriptures. That's the basic no-nonsense. There's no backfilling there. There's no front-filling. That's the, the basic message that people need to hear. Christ died for sinners, of which we are the worst. So that's the message for Ferdinand. That's the message for Belize. That's the message some of you are helping teams of people go to places like North Korea to preach the gospel. I still get checks in the mail from some of you helping us take the gospel to North Korea. And every time I see it, my face lights up because of a little town in Ferdinand in southwest Indiana God has put on the hearts of people to reach a people they will never meet, most likely, until heaven. Just to update you on that, and I'm almost done. Um, at this point, we've already sent in over 150,000 gospel tracts into North Korea. We wrote it. You supported it. We translated it. You supported that. And we gave the tract away, and now they're mass-producing it, and they're flying it in on smaller drones now than they were because technology is getting more efficient. But they're flying it in illegally over villages, and they're dropping gospel leaflets in North Korea. And it's highly illegal and it's highly dangerous. And the people who find them, if they accept the gospel, if they believe the gospel, they could be receiving a death sentence. But we preach it nonetheless. 
out of Ferdinand. If you look back in uh, John chapter 1, uh, I don't remember which guy it was. Is it Nathaniel or one of those guys? He says, what good could come of Nazareth, right? Jesus of Nazareth, what good could come of Nazareth? There's nothing good in Nazareth. Nazareth, what good could come of Ferdinand? Just the gospel preached to a people all the way around the world. That's not the only reason we exist as a church. It's not the only reason we exist as an association. It's not the only reason you exist as a human being, a Christ follower. You exist as a human being, Matthew 28 says, to make disciples and teach them everything Jesus commanded you. We do what we do with whom God gives us where we're at. And if that means going overseas to Belize, fantastic. If it means going across the street, fantastic. Wherever it is, we take this gospel and we say to people, you must be born again. And they say, like Nicodemus, I don't know what that means. And then we sit down with them and explain what being born again means. One verse, I, I promise I'll quit after this, but y'all said no time limit. So uh, turn to 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 4. Somebody ever asks you what it means to be born again, like what happens in a person's life when they're born again? Second uh, Corinthians chapter four. Look at this verse. Uh, we'll start in verse four, and we'll talk about who they are before Christ. In their case, he's talking about people who are not in Christ. Okay, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. In unbelievers' cases. The God of this world, he's talking about Satan now, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So understand, church in Ferdinand, that everyone around you who isn't a believer, they're literally being blinded to the gospel by Satan himself. He hates you and he hates your message. Whoever it is in your life that you love is not born again. Satan is blinding them, according to Paul. Now keep reading. Um, keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants or slaves for Christ's sake. Verse 6, this is what it means spiritually this is what happens when someone is born again. This is what happened to you when you were born again. It's what happened to me when I was born again. It's what's going to happen to those who hear the gospel through you should God save them. Verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is a one-sentence explanation of what it means to be born again. God shone light in your heart. He flipped on the switch. And now you can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why the day before you were saved, Christ was boring. And the day after you were saved, Christ was interesting. You may have not been totally sold out, you know, laying your life on the line in front of uh, a communist regime, regime that's saying, you know, believe in nothing or die. But all of a sudden, Christ was different to you. That's because verse six is true of you. 
if you're born again. God said, let light shine out of darkness. Where, where does that echo? Where, where, where have we heard that before? Genesis chapter 1. He's looking back towards creation. And he's pointing to the fact that you being born again is just like God, the Trinity, creating the world, creating the universe. It happens like that. So somebody ever asks you when you're explaining to them, you must be born again. What does that mean? It means that God turns a light on in your heart and changes you and makes Christ valuable to you. Christ is different. You, you, you know it in your heart. Those of you who are born again this morning, Jesus, you wouldn't be here on your own volition if Jesus weren't important to you. If you weren't thankful for salvation. You wouldn't be a church. Good grief. One of the most alive churches in southwest Indiana, in Ferdinand, Indiana. You wouldn't be here if Christ were not important. And Christ would not be important to you had God not flipped on the switch. And God wouldn't have flipped on the switch had somebody not shared the gospel for you with you. And somebody wouldn't have shared the gospel with you had somebody not told them to go share the gospel with you. Through the word. You see how it just kind of works? So take that message to everyone. If it's your enemy, and it may be, Christ may compel you and call you to carry their load an extra mile. He may compel you and command you to take a slap on the face and turn the other cheek. He compels you and commands you and me to love our enemies and pray for them, not to curse them. We, we cannot fall into the temptation of the American brand of Christianity, which is full of pride and struts around like peacocks. We are not that type of Christian. We are a biblical Christian who are the slaves of those who hate us. And every barb that they send, every hateful word, every nasty name, we respond with blessing and the gospel of Christ because we were once like those who are at the foot of the cross who were hurling insults at Christ and mocking him. Come down from your cross. He saved others. Can he save himself? That was once your heart, and it was once mine. So may we be the type of people, and I know you're led by a pastor who bleeds this type of thinking. He's not a perfect man, but I've known him long enough and gotten to know him well enough to know that he bleeds gospel preaching. And may we honor the Lord Jesus Christ by taking that message, no matter what it costs us. It may cost you a job, may cost you a relationship, doesn't matter. Your hands will be clean. May we take the gospel to people. May we go forward with the gospel. May you sit down and write it out to somebody over lunch or over dinner or over a golf game or whatever it is you do to get people in your life. Share the gospel. Preach the gospel. Say the gospel. And may the God of all creation who said, let light shine out of darkness, may he shine in their hearts to show them the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
us pray. Father, we are grateful that you have come and you've sent your Son and you've left us your Holy Spirit after Christ has returned to you. We're thankful, Father, that you are a God who seeks and saves the lost. You are the hound of heaven and your prey will not escape. You have sought us and bought us and ransomed us and redeemed us and reconciled us to yourself. And Father, corporately now together, right here in this building, those of us who are born again, we say thank you and we worship you. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, as he blows where he would, Father, that those in this room or who might hear this sermon online, Lord, would be born again through the preaching of the gospel, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, that he'd lived, that he performed miraculous deeds, that he died on the cross as a substitution for us. He took the punishment that we deserved and was killed, slaughtered like a lamb, that he was buried and that three days later he rose was raised from the dead. May that be our creed. May that be our cry. May that be our message to everyone in our lives. We're so thankful, Father. Would you call them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ? Would you cause them to be born again? And secondly, Lord, we do again lift up the team in um, Belize. We ask you, Father, that you would give them help we ask you, Lord, that you would give them courage. We ask you that you would fix any problems that they would encounter. We ask that you would walk before them and shine, uh, Lord, through your word, the paths that they should take and the people that they would come in contact to, Lord. I pray that their, their hearts would be prepared and they would receive the gospel, Lord, and be born again. Thank you, Father, for Josh and the team. Give them strength, give them comfort, give them courage, and give them the hope of the gospel as they preach there. Father, thank you for this church. I love them and I love you. It's through Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the sermon from guest preacher Bryce Palmer. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's word. True Vine Baptist Church also invites you to like our Facebook page or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.